Real quick, this episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners. Our calling is freeing you to pursue your call to plant. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. You are listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. On the pod today, we are joined by Dr. Robert Kim, a church planter turned seminary professor who leads the church planting track at Covenant Seminary. Let's kick it over to Hunter and John to get us going. All right, welcome to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast. Our guest today is Robert Kim. He's a seminary professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, and he also has a church planting past. We can't wait to talk to him and to learn from him and to explore the topic of church multiplication. That is always exciting. We'd also like to thank all those that have been listening to this podcast. We hit a pretty big milestone in terms of listeners and subscribers, and that's a big deal to us. And so we're thankful for you being patient with us and listening, tuning in and putting up with what we have to say. Hopefully along this journey, we've managed to make one good point. Well, I'll go ahead and... uh get us started today. So Dr. Kim, uh, you have kind of, kind of come across, at least in my world, as you transitioned into um, a professor role over at Covenant Seminary. But prior to coming there, um, Hunter mentioned you have a background in church planting. So why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview of, um, I mean, you could go back in your history as far as you want, but uh, who you are and, uh, and really how you've been involved with church planting and how that led you to where you're doing now at Covenant. Great. Thanks, guys, for uh, first off having me on the show. It's uh, one thing that I will just commend you guys with is that uh, you know there's a lot of different podcasting out there, but I think specific in the church planning world, a lot of those voices aren't coming from the reform tradition. And so it's nice to see uh, guys, one, encouraging young young folks being able to get involved. And secondarily, is just uh, kind of with that theological undergirding that I think actually is a confidence toward church planning because mm. indeed the Lord is building his church, right? So um, that's, right. that's kind of part of it all. So uh, for me, my background really quick is actually, I, I actually didn't think I was going to be a church planner. I originally thought I was supposed to be called as a missionary. So my conversion happened mm. in my junior year of high school, my senior year, it was a call to ministry as a definitive sense of like, the Lord has set you apart for gospel purposes. And that's kind of what it was for me. I went up to the mountain, I came down, I told everyone, including my family <laughs> and friends, it's like, the Lord has called me into pastoral ministry. And they were like, yep. We knew that. And so it's kind of cool <laughs> nice. uh, just to see the, uh, the external affirmation uh, that followed the internal. Um, but then going into seminary, I, I went to seminary with the intent of thinking, again, I was going to be like the likes of like Jim Elliott or Hudson Taylor, Adoram Judson, just in terms of going overseas. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I, so I went to Gordon Conwell. And when I asked my missions professor, I said, Dr. Wilson, why is it the Lord hasn't given me a country? I want to begin to prepare. Like, I want to know the culture. I want to know the language. And he just kept telling me, he's like, Robert, just trust in the Lord. He'll provide the context. He'll provide the place for you. Hmm. So that's all I did was just kind of try to be faithful unto the Lord. And so I did youth ministry and, and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, there's this pivotal moment that just somehow said, hey, Robert, the mission field is as much here as anywhere else. You know, if you think about like Keller and some of the other influences, I think where he uh, affirmed this idea, you know, that, you know, the, the missional the idea of the missional church and or, you know, thinking of cities as kind of strategic missional centers, I was just falling in love. And I was just like, oh, man, yeah, indeed, the mission of God is as much here. And so uh, my wife and I started praying and then we discerned that church planning would be one of those things. I think the background of student ministry 
I had started a ministry where I was, this was in Northern California at the time. And then when I was discerning kind of specifically saying, I want to go all into church planning, um, I took a call to Philadelphia. Uh, so that was roughly 2006. Uh, we took the call to plant a church out of a mother church. We daughtered a church uh, roughly about seven years after that, um, which is uh, the great joy. I, I'm going to mention it eventually probably again, mm. but I'll just say this. To me, the goal of church planting is not planting. It's actually multiplication. And I think sure. if we can change that in our book of church order, I think that would be helpful because I think that would produce healthier church plants. That's, that's a side story, but we won't go there. Um, and then lastly, I took the position of the network uh, in Philadelphia, which is so it's called the Metro Philadelphia Church Planning Partnership. It was a collaboration of four presbyteries at the time. We mm -hmm. then added a fifth, which was Delaware. And then my goal was to add a sixth, which was actually the Korean Eastern Presbytery. Um, so because I'm Korean American by background, um, I had kind of this natural privilege of saying there's a, another overlapping presbytery that could join this work of church planning. Unfortunately, then I met Dr. Douglas on April 2nd, 2019. And he, uh, I'm sure as John, you would know, um, I came <laughs> up to him and I met him. And then he said, hey, let's have breakfast the next morning. We had breakfast. He said, Robert, I have a wonderful plan for your life. It involves you being <laughs> my successor at Covenant Seminary. And lo and behold, he was right. And um, wow. that's kind of where I am right now. And so I feel very humbled to be in this role. Dr. Douglas, you know, his claim to fame right now is, you know, there's been over 300 PCU churches planted out of Covenant graduates like John. Um, and, you know, I'm just kind of saying I, I, I'm humbled being in this position, but also thrilled because of the fact that I think it has such a strategic place uh, within the kingdom and then more specifically within our denomination. Hmm. So did Dr. Douglas convince you with a very animated PowerPoint presentation? <laughs> no, he did not. Although I, was, <laughs> I just did a presentation for the Metro Atlanta Collective. And I will say uh, I did a PowerPoint and I said that I said, I'm going to honor Dr. Douglas by giving you a PowerPoint, but they're not quite like his. <laughs> That's some insider baseball, Kevin Summary. Dr. Douglas used to make the cheesiest animated PowerPoint presentations and it was always a riot. So like the one uh, yeah, filling some, fill some shoes there. Yeah. <laughs> so well, tell so, us a little bit about the, the tr transition there at Covenant. Um, you, you, you're stepping in for Dr. Douglas. You mentioned he's got this history of kind of encouraging uh, men to pursue church planting. Uh, but it's broader than that too, right? The seminary has taken a very specific kind of shift to creating a new track for, for church planting in particular. And Tell us about uh, the genesis of that and your role and what that looks like for a, a student coming in that maybe is thinking about joining that track. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for the question. You know, so Dr. Douglas, you know, his primary mechanism was the divine design. And I would say over the years, um, and again, for those listeners who don't know it, it's this one hour meeting where you meet with Dr. Douglas and he goes over things like your Myers-Briggs, which another quick, you know, inside story is he knows your Myers-Briggs before he knows your name. Um, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there, but that's how he kind of knows you. Um, and then secondly is from there, he would kind of just find out those who would have an interest for church playing. And that's where I would say he's discovered those over 300 church plants that have come out of our school. It's just simply saying, hey, I see church plant gifts in you. And, and John, as you were mentioning, kind of just really encouraging them. The track was formed before I came, but much in the same vein as like a church planner, you kind of want to make it your own. So I've kind of made it my own, um, which is okay. part of that is to say that um, we've now uh, grown the track. So uh, when I came in, oh, there was a fledgling three students in the track. Um, and it's one of those things where I was like, hey, if we want to do something about church planning, we have to do more than this. And so I said, how do we grow this out so we can actually draw students? 
um, to be able to get out there more equipped and trained for the things. Um, and then obviously developing a more robust program. I will simply say this, I wanna say this as a humble boast. Um, Covenant Seminary is one of the few seminaries across the United States that has a church planning emphasis or more specifically a track. And I will say that one of the things that I've been trying to do is work with the other seminaries in terms of creating a society, because we don't have that. So like my other faculty members, they will have a New Testament society and everything else. There's not one oh, sure. cross collaboration in terms of church planning, but even the ones that I've talked to, and this is across other institutions, have said, you know, the, the things that Covenant is doing right now, it's really one of a kind, um, that it's really trying to uh, tackle the issue that the need for church planning, and this is one thing I will simply say, the need for church planning is at an all-time high, and our need to get out more trained workers, right, our workers for the harvest, as he's the Matthew 9 passage, um, and more workers for the harvest, is at an all-time high as well, and so therefore, I do feel like we're really uh, meeting a need. The, the current track has um, MDiv and MABTS options, which is the MABTS is a new, uh, new uh, option that was offered this past fall. And then there's six parts of the track. It goes from this idea of recruiting, um, assessing, um, curriculum, cohort, field education, research, and placement. And the ultimate goal of this all, again, is movement leaders, as I've already talked about. So getting them out uh, with better equipping, to have them be casted with the vision of being movement leaders. And then actually the, the final perk, which I think some of some people might be interested is with huge financial perks. So actually with the MDiv financial model right now, um, you could get a four year MDiv at 75% of one year's worth of tuition, hmm. um, which you know creating or, or lessening the burden of debt for our students so that they can get out and start doing things like fundraising and actually building their church are some of the things that we're really mm -hmm. trying to tackle. So, Dr. Kim, I studied not too long ago the number of seminaries um, in evangelicalism in the United States that offer mandatory church planning classes, that offer church planning classes in general, um, let alone specific church planning tracks. What would you say to a seminary student who is thinking that the Lord is calling them to pastoral ministry, but not necessarily church planning? What would you say to them regarding why they should take a church planning class? How could that benefit them long-term? Yeah, so if I want to just use our polity, what I'll simply say is, you know, a church planner is just a teaching elder, right? And so uh, we're not going to make these uh, kind of distinguishings of like, you know, there's pastors and then there's planters. Um, even mm -hmm. the office by which we're called is one and the same. And, and I will just simply say, I think to the degree what church planners do are simply what I would call just healthy pastors, right? In, in terms of, you know, healthy DNA of what we're trying to get at. A couple of things, you know, one, I spoke on leadership development in my earlier call, and I just simply said, you know, I, I would qualify to say that the class isn't going to do everything, right? So, you know, they, they'll say 10% of formal learning is actually our learning. It's more that experiential learning that's actually going to help with it. But nevertheless, I still think it helps. Um, but going back to like the heart of it, the reason why I think it encourages a pastor who might take a church planning class are some of the kind of the foundational DNA points. For example, let's say building things. The church has kind of been stuck. And let's say if you think about the life history of a church, if it gets to the point where it's more programming than it is mission, it's usually the beginning of that decline.
time that leads eventually to the end. So if you want to revitalize, you get back to the heart of why you did ministry from the very beginning. I just spoke at a church and, you know, one of the emphasis I gave was, you know, Revelation 2.4 and the church of Ephesus, the church that started off strong, but in its warning in Revelation was what, but I have this against you that you have abandoned your first love, right? And that first love are things that, you know, what drew a church from the very beginning are probably things out of mission and pursuit, et cetera, and things like that, that were there. So to me, I think church planning classes just really help any pastor, because I think, again, at the end of the day, to me, a church planner is just hopefully a healthy pastor. I was going to say, you know, a lot of the people that we're trying to reach with our podcast are maybe even pre-seminary or our, our current seminary students. I, I would think that if I was coming into Covenant Seminary, unsure of where the Lord was calling me to, or maybe having a sense of, uh, you know, I want to be a pastor, maybe church planting is, is a category. I know when I came, it was a very vague category until I kind of had that first class with Dr. Douglas, right? And um, so just thinking about that on-ramp, does, does the, uh, a prospective student, do they start, you know, day one, they're in the church planning track and that's, and that's a path. How does somebody uh, go about maybe discerning if that's where they want to begin their track and not feel like, oh, if I do this track, then I can't do anything else except for church plant. I mean, you, you kind of spoke to that a little bit, but maybe talk to the incoming student a little bit. Yeah, that's great. So we've had, I've worked with our admissions department where they have a couple of different, like simple diagnostics where we, we, we have them talk through that. So I've kind of just said, Hey, from the admissions department, if you have some people that are, you know, have these backgrounds, oftentimes it's campus ministry, um, youth ministry, maybe missions background, et cetera, and things like yeah. that. But like one of the things I've argued is, you know, church planners, student ministers, and uh, overseas missionaries, we're all mission missiologists at heart. Um, that's just a quick FYI, but all that to say is um, prospective students can kind of take that. Um, the next step of that usually is just scheduling a call with me saying, hey, would you like to find out about the church planning track? Um, Dr. Kim's more than willing to meet with you for a half hour, just going over the overview of those six stages that I had mentioned, um, and we will walk through them. And then um, even before they actually get into the track, because there's financial dollars tied to it, we actually do a, an initial assessment. And so again, that assessment's not saying they're a church planner. That initial assessment is just saying, uh, is there a pulse there, right, toward church planning? Is there something that's beginning to emerge within their sense of call? That would probably lend them toward church planting. Uh, some of those things, you know, being things like um, entrepreneurship, some things being toward, you know, heart of evangelism, you know, unreached people groups, et cetera, and things like that. I could keep going on with the list, but yep, those yep. are some of the things that we initially talked about. What I would say, though, also to the student, and this is going to your question, Hunter, earlier, um, you know, at the end of the day, the church planting track curriculum wise consists of only four, or it's technically four classes, right? And so I tell them, you really could graduate with the same degree and have both path options open to you. Whereas technically speaking, if you were to just graduate with an MDiv, it, some people would probably wonder and question, say, well, why didn't you take advantage of something that's right in front of you? Um, going back to maybe the other end of that question, John, what I'll say is students who are now in their third and fourth year here at Covenant have asked the questions, why did I not know about this earlier? Because I wish I had taken it as well. Sure. Uh, because it's such a rich opportunity that they, um, in one sense, wish they had one of which uh, is part of the things I had mentioned is the cohort, which is here on campus. We meet on a regular basis as a cohort of church lanes track students um, to just gather, huddle, be with other leaders. This past month, for example, I had Terry Geiger, uh, former MA coordinator, founder of Tim Keller, you could say in some ways. And he just did a stupendous job just encouraging our students. And if the final perk of that meeting wasn't anything like the cherry on top of the Sunday was, he basically committed to praying for everyone in the church planning track for like the next three months by name. And I just thought, man, what a, what a tremendous privilege you all have as students 
who now have at least this one person just interceding that God's going to encourage you into church planting. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really cool things like that that happen, I would say, too, the, the incoming student and then again, even those students who are on campus as well. Sure. Robert, when you look at the statistics, you study the statistics about church closings and people leaving the church and the population increase in the United States. There's no question that we we need more church planners and we need more church planners in the PCA. And you're you play a critical role in that. So when you have students that have fears about church planting, how do you address that and how do you encourage them? Yeah, that's a great question, Hunter. Um, you know, I think what's really hard right now, and part of the conversation I just had with a group was just simply this. I, I see a troubling issue going on right now with some of the younger leaders who are actually not trying to aspire to be leaders. And so uh, I'll say anecdotally, this is just a smaller population. One of my classes um, that I taught for ministry leadership, um, not one person in the class wanted to be a quote unquote number one. They all wanted to be number two or some kind of supportive role. And again, I have no disdain or no disregard toward you know, anyone that's you know, in those things. But what was striking to me was the contrast when I was in seminary was, I think we had to talk people down, right? Everyone wanted to be sure. the next Mark Driscoll or Tim Keller. And you know, they thought they had more in, in them than, than they probably did. What I find maybe perhaps as a striking kind of contrast is I feel like we need to be talking to this generation up and saying, hey, you know, do you believe that the Lord actually could use you? And yes, we're frail. Yes, we have our, our, our issues and we know that ministry is hard. Uh, but mm. the Lord has always been faithful. He's always been able to do it. He's always been able to use, you know, simply like, you know, clay in a potter's hand and mold that into something really beautiful and wonderful. It's really never been about us. It's been about his work, you know, in us in that sense. Um, I, and to your point, Hunter, I would say uh, that the fact is that the need is the greatest. It was, it was greater before the pandemic. It's going to be that much more after. So, you know, even using my analogy of the mission field, that North America is, is by far one of the, the greatest or largest mission fields in the world at this point. And it seems to be only growing. And so even those who might be, let's say, called toward, let's say, evangelism, that they would kind of get out there and say, hey, I actually think, you know, this is something that the Lord is calling me to because it's, it's there's such a great need that's right in front of us. Um, the last thing I would just simply say again is um, the reality of what they're getting equipped here that I've been trying to also pitch for them is to say, although it's hard, what we have trained and equipped you with, which is this gospel articulation, is the very thing that's addressing our current need as well, right? So if you want to contrast that, let's say, to a prosperity gospel, it's actually saying what the world so desperately needs is what you've now been equipped with, which is to go and proclaim the gospel that actually brings life and life everlasting, right? And so um, in being able to do so, I think just really encouraging our students that um, there's such a strategic opportunity, and might you be encouraged up to consider that um, the Lord might be calling you into planting as well. Make no mistake, I don't want to sugarcoat that either. I think church planting is hard. And I would never, you know, the Matthew 9 passage of the the harvest is plentiful. Um, I can say this. I've never been a farmer. Um, I know that farming is hard work. And so it's the same thing, right? I would say uh, when we were planting, it wasn't easy. um, But the Lord was nevertheless faithful and gracious to us in the midst of that planting. Yeah. So you mentioned a a cohort as part of your track there and, um, you know, here four years on the other side, um, you know, we, we created our own cohort. It's called Greek summer Greek, uh, (laughs) library study club. Uh, (laughs) but those, those men continue to be some of my closest friends. And now as I've kind of entered the church planting world have, found a little cohort of church planters and 
and to have that built in is such a necessary sustaining, I mean, encouraging thing you talk about, you know, maybe even doubts along the way as you're trying to encourage people to be taking the lead, see what God would do. Uh, that's never going to end. And so having, you know, four or five, however many students that you're growing together, seeing each other develop, uh, seeing what God does through them and just having those, uh, those relationships is, is such a grace to, I think any pastor, not even just, you know, church planters, but to have, uh, friends who are tracking with you, praying for you. And, uh, and you can be encouraged by seeing how God's at work, uh, in their lives. Yeah, that's great. And John, if I can encourage you, it's really been cool to see that a lot of our graduates are beginning to do those types of cohort models where they're graduating and saying, hey, we don't want this to end. We've encouraged each other throughout the four years here. Let's continue. Why stop? And so literally I was uh, consulting and coaching these guys to say, you know, what are the things that you would put in your call packages that would even help you to maintain this, including, so for example, like that one week together, a week, a year that they can just gather along with their spouses and to be able to say, hey, we want to see kind of the synergy of like, what does it look like for us to do life together? I, I will just bring in one of the things. So I'm friends with Elliot Grudem. He's doing this ministry called the Leaders Collective. And you know, part of his diagnosis for church planners, especially, is just the fact that people in ministry really lack good friends. And, you know, when we think about that as just a strategic need, that cohort hopefully is producing some of that basic ability of just simply saying, how do you have friends? And friends, not because of a professional status. I think his whole yeah. thing is just people who enjoy you. That's it, right? And as simple as the definition as that is, how much we need that, and then how that's a gospel narrative for us, right? The Lord actually enjoys us, He delights in us, right? And so, um, even some of that being part of our, our formation development, that's so needed for church planners too. Mm, that's a good word, Dr. Kim. What do you think is the biggest need in church planning today? And I'm gonna I'm gonna phrase that question two ways. What is the biggest need in terms of the reform tradition and broader evangelicalism. Ooh, you added something to that, but let me uh, <laughs> do that. Um, for the reform tradition, I will say this is um, maybe what I started off earlier. Because we have such a high view of not only our doctrines, but specifically to say the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, I think our confidence toward church planting should be even greater, but yet it seems less. And what I mean by that is just simply to say, it's like, you know, whether it be failure or success to be able to say the Lord, it doesn't depend upon our work and our ability to do so. We obviously want to do that with excellence, but we leave it into the Lord's hand, right? It's similar to kind of Paul's analogy of first Corinthians, right? Like Paul planted, Paul's watered, but God causes all things to grow. It's really trusting in that God's the one who's going to cause that to grow. So let's yeah. have a confidence as we engage in the vision toward church planting um, and to believe that to be the case. Uh, I'll tie that loosely to two practices that I think are really kind of um, um, important with church planting. So they relate, Rich. So one of the more formative books for me on, on uh, evangelism was Evangelism of Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. And I remember just reading that as a seminary student, just simply saying, yes, like, why don't we go out and do evangelism more boldly? Because for the same reason, right? Like I can spread the seeds, but God's going to cause, you know, whatever growth that's going to happen in terms of, let's say someone coming to Christ is not upon me. And so it took me to greater confidence in doing so. And then the second one that I think is tied to a high view of God's sovereignty is prayer. It's to believe, right, that as we ask the Lord for the harvest, can use it going back to Matthew 9, he's going to answer that. And we believe that, right? God is building this church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So I think specifically within the Reformed tradition, I think we ought to work out of our, our, our core convictions scripturally yep. 
to be able to engage in that faithfully. I think going back to the larger question of, of and, actually, and this will now be tied both, both to like, let's say the evangelical world. I think evangelism is becoming lost within our present day context. I think in the church planning assessment center, um, and this is something that I've been harking with m a a little bit about, just simply saying, you know, we will often pass someone sometimes, and I say this loosely because I don't want to make it, you know, we pass someone who has had very little evangelizing fruit because we think that they could get to it eventually. And part of me is saying, no, I think if they're going into church planning, we ought to have seen demonstrations or evidence that they've actually tried to engage and seen some fruitfulness in evangelism. And again, not dependent upon them, that actually says, you know what, we're going to believe that this is a value of what's needed for our church planners. One thing that happened recently at a readiness summer, and again, I'm not going to bust on people here, but I'm just going to state the, the date. We were looking at a metric that was dated in 1995. Mm-hmm. on how to assess, you know, qualities and competencies. And so even with that, and this is across other denominations as well, I would say the church planning movement was roughly like circa 1990s into the 2000 eras early, but it hasn't been revisited. And I think we need to revisit that consistently in terms of asking the question, what are the, what are the qualities and the needs for the church planners today? And again, going from reformed and evangelical churches to be able to see what that's like. And if I want to put that specifically in the context of the pandemic, um, so I teach a leadership class here as well for the same thing Dr. Douglas used to teach, but I'll just simply say, you know, one of my conversations has been, you know, typically speaking, when we look at the roles of, the, of leadership as prophet, priest, and king, in light of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and others have commented on this, I think it was uh, Andy Crouch who said, you know, care will become the new apologetic, right? Um, going back to that priestly function, I, I think making sure that our church planners know how to be triage, they know how to triage uh, the, the trauma of what we've just experienced in light of, the, of church planting will be absolutely critical and necessary as well. And so I think some of those challenges, so like, for example, if a guy can come out and he can preach, that's great. But if he can't care for someone who's lost their entire family or you know, gone through, let's say, economic turmoil because of the pandemic, I don't know if he's going to be able to effectively plan a church because more than what people are asking for is that not worrying about as much as what, how they preach or how effectively they preach, but really, in essence, how they're going to be caring for them in the midst of coming out of this all. Those are some of the things that they say. That's a, that's a good point. If you study the history of M&A and you look at past movements, you know, they would always try to find a really strong preacher to place him in the pulpit to attract people and to, to plant a church. And I think you talked about metrics in terms of assessment. We've moved into an age where, well, frankly, and we saw this through the pandemic, you can go online and access some of the best preachers and teachers that exist within not only evangelicalism, but the Reformed tradition. And so it really does point to a model where the shepherd is king moving forward in terms of church planning, that you've got to love people. You've yeah. got to spend time with them. You got to seek them out. They have to know your voice. Yeah, and and to that, that's kind of been that point of that prophet priest king model. Is prophets and kings ruled at one point in terms of like I would say that what we were looking for, but that priestly function is one that's going to be that we need to value that moving forward, especially you know, given what you even just said, Hunter, and I, I've said the same thing, like at this point, you know, you, you could go and listen to a bunch of Tim Keller sermons and have access to that, or even go to the best churches of the world, virtually speaking. But what I would also say is the pandemic has exposed that to say, hey, place matters. Like the fact that I have a relationship with, with the preacher matters, you know, like that ability to seen, be seen and cared for and shepherded by the, by the pastor um, is absolutely critical and necessary. So in some ways, it, it, it's true that it's opened that up, but it's also created this void or this vacuum of 
reinforcing place matters, theology mm -hmm. of place matters. Right. And right. one of the things I, I have tried to encourage planters with is to say, how have you formulated your theology of place that so you can't say, I could plant a church in New York City and I can't plant a church in you know the Mid-South. Mm -hmm. But to be able to say, to what degree am I called to a place mm -hmm. and how is it the Lord has fashioned me for that place? Or North Dakota for that matter. <laughs> so let's step back from Covenant Seminary and your role as a professor. And let's, let's go back to when you were church planting. Tell us about how your church plant multiplied. Yeah. So for me, I'm not, uh, so going back to like distinctions between church health and church growth, I was never a church growth guy. I was always trying to, and I've, I've spoken uh, even here just a little bit about church health and healthy leaders. Mm -hmm. So to me, healthy growth always looks something down the lines of like 10 to 20% growth year in, year out. And that's kind of what we did. We started the group about 70 and it was just slow and incremental. What I would say what was fun was when we started off in that smaller group number, um, and that's not small for some, but I'm just going to say where is that smaller group number? I told the elders and the founding um, leaders, I said, hey, when we hit 250, um, we're going to multiply. I said, I don't do churches past 250. And at first they were kind of like, hey, whatever, Rob, you're, you're just kind of fooling yourself, even if we can get to 250. But then when we hit that number, I will just simply say, I just had a conversation with the elders and said, hey, remember when I told you seven years ago or six years ago at the time, when we hit this, this is what we're going to do. Let's now begin to be strategic about it. The growth that happened, and this is going to, you know, foundational principles for me, um, when we think about kingdom advancement, not kingdom transfer, was kind of one of our core values. It's just simply to say, you know, we're not trying to shuffle people from one church to the next, or even, even de-church was kind of hard at one time, but part of the emphasis with unchurch and de-church was saying, we, we push, we turn people away, and that was one of those things where my first elders were like, Really? And I was like, yes. I said, let's try to take this conviction and say, and so for example, it was something to the effect of, let's say someone comes into your church and says, hey, I heard you're a good preacher and my church is dry. I just want to come to your church because, you know, it's, it's what's happened and whatever. And I would say, well, those aren't sufficient reasons to leave a church. <laughs> I said, guess what? I actually know your pastor. He loves Jesus. He preaches the word faithfully. I think you should stay at your church. And those were the conversations. And again, as a, as a young church planner, you know, people thought that was crazy to say, hey, how, how are you going to build a church if you're not just going to take everyone? And I said, no, we want to build our church healthy, right? Again, so church growth versus church health. If mm -hmm. I want to grow a church, I'll just take people. But if I want to grow a church healthy, in particular, thinking about kingdom advancement, right? Taking people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Those were kind of the foundational things. So again, the things that we celebrated were those things, right? When someone was either de church and they get more often not the unchurched, right? And so I always tell people one of the more formidable moments for me as a development as a church planner was when we had that one person who's completely unchurched. And, and this is like the, the cool story, right? So here, actually, I'm so this one sister, but she comes in and, and I think I'm preaching through the book of Galatians at this point. And so she comes up to me after service one day. And she's like, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob, you keep mentioning Paul and he sounds like a really cool guy. Do you think you can introduce me to him? And I was just like, all right, time out. We need to, <laughs> we need to rechange our, our, what we're thinking about in terms of like, and the thing is that reset the church in just a healthy way because then we said, when we speak about these things, how do we do it in a way where those who are not church can actually understand what we're trying to say? And going back to church health to church growth, that's what caused us to be healthy because we actually were very like um, cognitive of like, or like conscious of what we were trying to do and how we were to try to present the gospel. So again, it was kind of that slow, steady, methodical, get to that point. And then when we got to the point, what we did just naturally was a bunch of our people were coming from a community about 20 minutes north of us. And I just said, hey, you know what? Your drive coming down 20 minutes 
you're passing by a whole mission field. And we just want you to begin to reach your neighbors, to invite them and realize that 20 minutes could be a hurdle or a burden for them to come to church. Why don't you start yeah. inviting your neighbors and be incarnational within the community that God has placed you in? And this is what was cool. Even within the three years or so since I plant, we planted and then I became the network director, right before I left from, to come here to Covenant, we actually particularized that church. And just it was such a joy to be a part of a, of a church. And what was cool there was the people we commissioned out at this, at this particularization service, there were so many people I didn't know. And they were just seeing me as kind of like this like other figure. I was like, how awesome. Like I get to see the fruit of a vision that kind of came to be as a result. And what I would say, even in hindsight, it's interesting, the daughter church were probably plant before the, the founding church or the mother church, which is interesting for a lot of reasons. Well, it's an encouraging story. I'm also trying to wrap my mind around the idea that somebody's going to show up to my church and say, I'm a good preacher and they want to come there. (laughs) 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 That's a different context for me. That's for sure. But no, no, thanks for sharing that story. That's uh, yeah. It's encouraging to hear, you know, how, you know, you can, you can have a different focus and, and, uh, and think about, I I really like that, that dichotomy you created there of, uh, health versus growth and, and, um, just having that mindset all along the way. And that doesn't mean that you aren't growing and that doesn't mean you're not multiplying, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that you're doing it in a, in a thoughtful, methodological way. So, yeah. well, if I can use one analogy there, John, and so I'll, I'll cite the book and the resource, but natural church growth or natural church of by Christian Schwartz. But one of the things I love about the analogy is, you know, he's just basically saying like, look at things in nature and like, how do they grow? Right, like if I planted, um, let's say, uh, uh, a bean sprout or a green bean, whatever, you're not going to see like it pour out the next day and it be bearing fruit. Yep, it's slow and it's steady, and so there. That's the beauty of like how we're working and laboring, right? We're just slow and steady and saying what it should look like is something like that. That's one thing I will say in terms of why I, I appreciate the analogy. I don't appreciate everything in the book. I appreciate the analogy. The other part of that I will say is. When we take a look at reproduction, um, like, you know, and you've been here in St. Louis, John, so I'll just simply say this, my backyard is just filled with trees, right? And it's fascinating because you look at a place like that, you don't have to tell a tree to reproduce itself. Around yep. one tree, you're seeing all these saplings that are coming up and it's just reproduction. Yep. I think yep. it's almost kind of one of those things uh, for the church in North America in particular, it's around the world, but let's just use North America. It's interesting to say when you have to tell a church, think about reproduction, think about how the Lord might grow you so that you might plant a church. I don't think it should be an odd conversation. I think that should be the most natural conversation for us. Mm. We're saying the seed of the gospel is indeed bearing fruit. It bears mm-hmm. fruit in such a way that a church, so individuals can actually see conversions happen as a result, meaning like they can bear fruit in terms of, of sharing the gospel. But then churches as the bride of Christ can also birth themselves and see children and grandchildren. One quick anecdote as well, what I will say is, and, and this is gonna be an issue. Hunter, you may be old enough, I could be wrong here, by the way, of having grandchildren, but my apologies, just looking on screen, but I'm just gonna see this out. So, you know, for us, when we particularize as a church, our mother church, and, and mind you, they're a Korean church. They're like, eh, okay, you guys, you made it on your own, et cetera, and things like that. But I will tell you, when our daughter church planted and they were able to see their granddaughter, dude, they were overjoyed. Hmm. And I think it was that whole thing. It's like, wait, our faith. And this is kind of what I drew for them as a vision. I said, your faith has produced this generational offspring. Your children and, and grandchildren 
now have a place in which they can grow in the gospel of grace and continue to be fed the word of God. And I said, how amazing this is. And so at least in terms of anecdotes or like the story, it's cool because they were to say like, those are my grandchildren. Just like for you, maybe, or for me, it's like, I have my children. It's like, yeah, they're teenagers now. But man, I, I think when I have my grandchildren, I'm going to be like, whoa, like this is awesome. Right. And so the same excitement uh, for churches as well, that they're able to see this idea of multiplication leading to spiritual grandchildren. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining our podcast. It's exciting that you are at Covenant Seminary. I'm so thankful that you're there. As often, if you look around the landscape of seminaries, particularly in the Reformed tradition, you don't see a point person like you that's carrying the flag for church multiplication and church planning evangelism. I really wish that all seminaries would have, as, you know, as particularly as we look at the book of Acts and Paul in the New Testament, that seminaries would take this more seriously. And so I'm, I'm thankful that you're there, thankful that you're teaching these students, grateful that you're encouraging them towards multiplication. So, so glad that you joined us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the time. It's been a, a blessing to be with you all. That's the last word for now. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or our new email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.